Beloved, I can't help but share with you um, the joy the Lord has given us uh, at our home on Friday nights when young adult people come and we read the Bible, sing praise hymns, and just come together. I can't wait for the plans for the new year when we start a new beginner's class, new members, and I, I, I'm looking forward to that with the new friends. There are um, some uh, individuals that are working at either Kimberly or Plexus, and they travel around the world and uh, as part of their responsibility as they work for these companies, but they are connected with people that come to this church. And they have given me the privilege to connect with them, and they're coming there on Friday night to study the Bible together. So keep in your prayer the young people of this church. I see the young people of this church here, and I ask you, please uplift them in prayer, the young adults, as we try to work together and have a wonderful time in worship. We're trying to ask the Lord to speak to our hearts, transform, make meaningful our walk with Him. And um, please uplift them before the Lord in your prayers and ourselves. And I pray that you too open the doors of your home. Invite friend, neighbors, and, um, and just tell them, we just want to read the Bible. Okay? We just want to open the Bible, read it there, and hear God speak to our hearts. How hard is that? Very simple. Just tell them, a group of friends... We'll have some finger food or something to drink there. We'll just get together. And we'll just share a moment there. Together. Before the presence of God. Today as we begin our meditation. I regretfully. Mention to you that this is one of the. Most difficult. Times and messages that any minister ever has to speak about. If not, ask Jeremiah, who was thrown into a dungeon, into an abandoned well there at the mud at the bottom and just left there to die. Or ask the prophet Isaiah, who for taking a message to the king, the king decided to use a saw. It was not an electrical saw, so it was kind of slow. They put him in the middle of this piece of rotten old wood and cut him in half. It was pretty God's children, Sabbath keeper, tithe givers who killed him. So today our message although has to do with sanctification and righteousness by faith, it also is going to describe the Romanism within. And some of you have heard about this before. An Adventist writer, author, was speaking about Mr. Jorge Mario Bergoglio, which is Pope Francis. And, um, and they were just talking how this individual has caused quite a stir recently. And in the media, and the news, so much so, in fact, that an ardent Protestant friend said to this Adventist author, you know what? Wow, this new pope seems like a really good guy, 
and he's saying some good things, maybe he's on God's side. Well, yes, I responded, said the author, Adventist. He's saying some rather good things, isn't he? There is, however, the small matter of believing. He occupies the position of God on earth. And the little thing about believing that there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church. And the tiny issue of believing, he speaks with infallibility. Infallibility. And the minor point about God burning people forever in hell, including little babies who die without the Catholic baptism. Um, and of course, the modest idea that you can pay money to the church to get people less time burning in purgatory. And besides those items, yes, he's saying some nice things, yeah. Of course... Protestantism was formed as a protest against Catholicism and the papacy. Of course, a word that refers to the position of absolute authority held by this individual. And the reasoned posturing of Pope Francis calls for a renewed examination of the protest launched by Luther and the reformers before and after him, which you can expect, of course, that there's going to be much coming out of that. But first, I want to address you, brethren, and turn your attention from the papacy without and take a look at the papacy within within ourselves and within our own beloved church. While it provides us with a very convincing illusion of personal righteousness to point away from ourselves and localize the danger as existing exclusively out there, beloved, it is not at all safe to do so. No. Our biggest danger lies in assuming that Romanism is merely that big religious political institution headquarters at the Vatican City. It is not. It is not. First and foremost, foremost, Romanism is the religion of human nature. Human nature in general, yours and mine included. The greatest Protestant protester himself, Martin Luther, insightfully observed, I am more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and all his cardinals. I have within me the great Pope. And that is self. Who likes to be talk about his self? Nobody. And that's what I meant at the beginning. It's not easy to talk about you or me. Yes. The papacy is simply a corporate manifestation of the universal human inclination to exalt self in the place of God. 
to justify self rather than rest in God's justifying amazing grace. And to control our fellow human beings by emotional coercion tactics rather than grant liberty of conscience. You see, there is, however, the small matter of believing he occupies the position of God on earth. Wherever the spirit of dominance is employed, whether by a husband or a wife at home, yes, in the marriage, by a leader in the local church or in the conference, it doesn't matter. There is the principle that fuels popery. That is being exercised right there. Wherever people are taught to expect God's favor in exchange for anything they might do, legalism in either the liberal or are the conservative form, there lurks the false picture of God that defines papal doctrine. Wherever church folks seek to resolve differences by authoritative pronouncements rather than by respectful and reasoned biblical discussion, there is a manifest, there is manifested the spirit that actuates Romanism. It's amazing how we could find ourselves following in the tracks of Rome if we just don't watch it. The messenger of God, Ellen White, understood that and she wrote, We have far more to fear from within than from without. The hindrances to strength and success are far greater from the church itself than from the world. Whatever the papacy happens to be up to, the more crucial question is, what are we ourselves up to in our daily dealings with one another in our homes, churches, our conference, at work, wherever we might be? That we cannot just ignore. Again, she wrote above and about these words in 1887, a year later, the fear she expressed materialized at the Minneapolis conference session in 1888, which was a super significant event in Adventist history. And we mentioned a little bit about that. So a little background will help us understand the major concern there. Leading up to 1888, she wrote, Many Adventists had lost sight of Jesus. And how prevalent that could be today if we're not called upon it. Many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to His divine person, His merits, and His changeless love for the human family. The overall content and tenor of Adventist preaching was such that the church had earned the reputation that Seventh-day Adventists talk the law, the law, but not teach or believe in Jesus Christ. And to remedy the situation, God sent two young men 
to uplift Jesus before the church leadership. Many of my Adventist friends, church family, if we're not aware that that is exactly how Satan wants to fulfill Jesus' words right there in the Mount of Olives when his disciples came and asked him, Lord, what signs, what manifestation will be there of your soon coming that you will come again? They wanted to know, they wanted to have some ideas. What will be some signs there? And Jesus, instead of starting giving signs, he said, be careful, be watchful, because there will be false prophets, false teacher. They will even try, Satan himself will try to deceive those who profess to be his followers. And Satan is not going to give you, change the, the way you believe. But if he, if he can unplug me and you from a vital, vibrant, real walk with Jesus on a daily, moment-by-moment base, that's all he needs to do. I, I can't imagine Satan being so foolish to come to tell any of you or me to say, well, the Lord has revealed through me an angel of light that now we will be keeping instead of the fourth commandment on the seventh day, we're just moving it to the next day. You say, nah, that's not going to fly. That's not going to happen. But he can keep you busy with me. If, if he can keep you busy and me busy away from that vibrant connection. That's all. That's all he needs. That's all that he wants to do, by the way. Yes, God sent these two young men, Alonso Jones and Elliot Wagner, and the divine unction, these men preached the good news of justification's righteousness imputed by faith, righteousness imparted, sanctification to you and to me, so that we will experience the latter rain proclaim under the power of the angel of Revelation 18 that will illuminate the whole globe and Jesus will come. So I am the problem. I am holding him back. And I can't wait. I can't resist that in my mind that I am part of that problem. And I want to challenge you and especially myself about that gift. Because brethren, if there's something you need to do, it's fine to know the Ten Commandments. It's fine to know to live a healthy life of exercise, of proper, balanced, nutritional food. But if you and I don't understand and experience Indeed, in verity, the third angel's message, which is the everlasting gospel, the same gospel Jesus himself preached to Adam and Eve and has been preaching to all his people all the time, that our only hope is in him. What he can do for you and for me on a daily, moment-after-moment basis. Yes. Sadly, then, the leaders of the general conference in that occasion, they rejected the message. We mentioned this before. We're also generally aware that that message was not only rejected by key leaders, like not only the president, but even the editor of the Adventist Review. 
Uriah Smith, and many others. What many of us may not know is why many church leaders found themselves of righteousness by faith, that it was uplifted there. Why didn't they accept it? And in the following letter that this old lady wrote, it just helps us better understand. The spirit of domination is extending to the presidents of our conference. Remember the Romanism within? Human nature. Everybody has it. It's there. The spirit of domination is extending to the president of our conferences. If a man is a sanguine of his own powers and seeks to exercise dominion over his brethren, feeling that he is invested with authority to make his will the ruling power, the best and only safe course is to remove him. Lest great harm be done and he lose his own soul and imperil the souls of others. Don't hesitate if you see that happening in me to start praying that the Lord send this pastor elsewhere. Don't hesitate to make that kind of prayer. I cannot thank you enough for those of you who daily lift up not only myself but my family before the Lord because I am not exempt for I'm just reading before you. All of us are exposed to that. I pray that the Lord will lead us and open our eyes, anoint our eyes with the eyes sad that we all need to be receiving from the Holy Spirit. Yes, this disposition, all you are brethren, this disposition to Lord it over God's heritage will cause a reaction unless these men change their course. Those in authority should manifest the spirit of Christ. They should deal as he would deal with every case that requires attention. They should go weighted with the Holy Spirit. A man's position does not make him one jot or title greater in the sight of God. It is character alone that God values. The goodness, mercy, and love of God were proclaimed by Christ to Moses. This was God's character. When men who profess to serve God ignore His parental character and depart from honor and righteousness in dealing with their fellow brothers and sisters, oh, Satan exalts, for he has inspired them with his attributes. They are following in the track of Romanism. Beloved, it breaks my heart when I look back and I have been so foolish loudly or in my mind to make a comment or have a thought about any one of God's children. That should never be there. It should never. In humiliation, in repentance, the Spirit of God will speak to us to be like Jesus. 
those who are joined to represent the attributes of the Lord, character, step from the Bible platform and in their own human judgment devise rules and resolutions to force the will of others, they have just fallen in Satan's snares. The devising for forcing men to follow the prescriptions of other men are instituting an order of things that overrides sympathy and tender compassion, that blinds the eyes of mercy, justice, and the love of God. Moral influence and personal responsibility are trodden underfoot. The righteousness of Christ by faith has been ignored by some, for it is contrary to their spirit and their whole life experience. That is the experience that I pray that you will seek, but I, I can't give it to you. I can talk about it. I can mention it. But I have a responsibility to look for it for myself. And I pray you will capture that. If that is the only thing you can remember from this, any of the past or future messages about righteousness by faith, I pray that God will be honored. God will be recognized and invited to rule completely in our life, and Jesus will be manifested. Yes, the righteousness of Christ by faith has been ignored by some, for it is contrary to their spirit and their whole life experience. Rule, rule has been their course of action. Satan has had an opportunity of representing himself. When one who professes to be a representative of Christ engages in sharp dealing in pressing men into hard places, those who are thus oppressed will either break every fetter of restraint or they will be led to regard God as a hard master. They cherish, cherish, hard feelings against God, and the soul is alienated from Him, just as Satan planted it should be. What can be said that starting with me and you, my beloved brothers and sisters, Jesus can make every one of us here. Not only a keeper of each brother and sister, but of our families that are not here, our friends, our former fellow brothers and sisters. And don't even mention co-workers. We are keepers of those that we have an influence over. I pray that no one comes to church and not be noticed. Have you ever thought, has it ever passed to you when you go to a place for the first time, you kind of want nobody looking at you? That's so human. It's so us. It's so me. And yet, isn't it fun when someone with a great smile discovers you? Hey, my friend, so happy that you're here. Hey, you won't believe what my wife did for potluck, you know? Stay for potluck. We're going to have a great time together. Hey, can I sit with you? Is that okay? The question was asked in our Sabbath school today. Pastor, class members, 
What can we do so that everybody come and sit at the front? And I told him how embarrassed I felt in my early ministry. I will literally force people to come to the front. I said the sermon is not going to begin until everybody's over here. That was the old way, okay? Thank God is in the past. Deep under the sea. Okay? But I, 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 I would love to see the work of the Holy Spirit that you will be here to the front, not because of the speaker, but because you're so in love, engaged with Jesus in this forever friendship with Him that it's originated in heaven and that the Holy Spirit made it a reality. It's nothing short from a miracle. It'll happen to you only an answer to prayer. It's not going to be automatic. It's not because it shows in the bulletin, sit in the front. It's going to be only an answer to you saying, Lord, I want to come to the front because I don't want to miss a word of what you have for me in store. Through that horrible speaker that has English as a second language. And Lord, have mercy on his soul. But speak to me even through him. Would you do that? God will honor your prayers. God will honor your prayers. Yes. A few points. Church leaders who manifest the spirit of dominion should be removed from their positions. Period. Two. A man's position, whether it be a pastor, conference president, or a general conference president, does not make him any greater in God's sight than any other church member. Character alone is a value before God that we want to grow. Lord, if I am the kind of person who's not the nicest, kindest, change me. I can't change myself. You change me from within out. God will do that. Actually, He's anxious to do that. He's waiting for mine in your prayer in that direction. Three, church leaders who devise rules and resolutions to force the will of others are following in the track of Romanism. The attitudes and tactics with which human beings deal with their own fellow human beings when they are in a position of authority reveal whether they are under the liberating influence of the gospel of Christ or under the oppressive influence of papal principles. For when human beings, especially those in positions of leadership, in God's church, attempt to rule over their fellow human beings. Satan is representing himself through them. And the character of God is being misrepresented. Five and final. Lastly, following the 1888 general conference session, the message of righteousness by faith was being ignored by some church leaders because it was contrary to their spirit of rule. Rule, rule. Righteousness by faith is incongruent with a spirit that will rule over others. And we will see why this is the case as we wrap up our meditation this morning. We may have less to say about Rome 
You see, one year later, in 1896, another time, the messenger of the Lord made a daring statement of Adventist to process. Given our tendencies to focus on the papacy as our great danger, there is a need of much closer study of the word of God, especially should Daniel and the revelation have attention as never before in the history of our world. We may have less to say in some lines in regard to the Roman power and the papacy, but we should call attention to what the prophets and the apostles have written under the inspiration of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has so shaped matters, both in the giving of the prophecy and in the events portrayed, as to teach that the human agent is to be kept out of sight, hid in Christ, and the Lord God of heaven and His law are to be exalted. How can that be done without being accused of a Sabbatarian? Only God can make that miracle in you and in me. Please don't miss what she said in this statement. It is crucial. She was discerning and suggesting that a closer study of God's word, especially the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, might lead Adventist people like me and you to focus our attentions less on papacy in particular and more on the danger existing in the human agent in general. That's the great Pope and me, Roman isn't me, that we need to be aware of. Yes, we need to be aware. This statement was in keeping with her earlier ones. Yes, which call our attention to the fact that what we see in the papacy is a spirit of domination and self-exaltation that all of us are susceptible to and which is just as likely to manifest itself in our church as anywhere else. This is precisely what we do find when we study the word of God more closely, especially the prophets of Daniel and Revelation, we discover that the man of sin, papacy, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, is simply an institution or a corporate manifestation of the inclination that resides in all human hearts to play God and to usurp his role in our dealing with our fellow human beings with attitudes of superiority and tactics of pressure, dominance, and control. That can happen anywhere, even in the home. Seven years later, 1903, following message, the student of the Word of God should learn to view the Word, the Bible, as a whole, and to see the relation of its parts he should gain a knowledge of its grand central theme of God's original purpose for the world. Of the rice, of the great controversy, we should be aware of that. And of the work of redemption, we should specialize in that. 
He, you and I, as students of the Word of God, should understand the nature of the two principles that are contending for supremacy and should learn to trace their working through the records of history and prophecy to the great consummation. He, you and I, should see how this controversy enters into every phase of human experience. How in every act of life, He Himself reveals the one or the other of the two antagonistic motives. And how, whether He will or not, He is even now deciding upon which side of the great controversy he or she will be found. This is such an amazing, insightful dissolution of what's really going on in human history as revealed by Bible prophecy. Beloved, I want to close with you now, inviting you, challenge you in the name of Jesus. Make righteousness by faith or justification by faith the theme of your life. If you get that right, everything else will fall in place. Because as you and I become students of the Word of God, the Word of God will reveal to me like a mirror what needs to be taken care of by Surgeon Jesus. Jesus know where he needs to work in my heart. Leave this sanctuary with a determination in your heart to ask Jesus to put such a smile in your face that you will be like honey and bees. Wherever there's honeys, there will be bees. You will be like a magnet. Jesus in you. Jesus in me. I can't wait until I get to the door and shake your hands and just pass the passion he puts in my heart for you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. I get to miss sometimes grandma, so I catch her one day over here as she was walking out this door. Go out of your way to greet your fellow brother and sister. Let him know, you know what? I'm embarrassed to say this. I haven't prayed for you for a long time, but I want to pray for you this week. Find someone you haven't prayed for a while. Don't let him or her go today without you letting him know that you will be praying for him or for her. And that you're going to get into his word and study righteousness by faith. It will melt your heart. And you, you will disappear as Jesus is being lifted up and all men will be drawn unto him. Let us pray together. Dear Father, I am just so thrilled when I see the little children after the story, just going out there with a little basket, collecting an offering, the Lamb's offering. As I see my dear deaconesses come to the front, who will be ushering us out, as I see every one of my brothers and sisters, members of the body of Christ, 
this morning. Lord, give me the same intercessory mind of prayer that led Jesus to leave his throne of glory and come to this world to save us. Lord, seal in us through your Holy Spirit such passion to pray for one another, to see your kingdom come soon and be home at last. With those you've given us the joy to introduce to Jesus that miracle we ask, we are praying for, and we have chosen to believe because we ask it like Jesus taught us in his name. Amen.